Bibles, if you would please, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8. And today in Matthew's Gospel, we're looking again at one of the most remarkable events in Jesus' life. Everything about him was uncommon and it was special. Uh, With his ability to teach the Scriptures and all the miracles that he did, when you say that there's one thing that stands out that is truly remarkable, then it must be very, very special. And we have here a story that piques our interest because it takes us into another world. We're interested in the world that we can see around us. I mean, just to look at creation, that is enough to occupy us for our lifetimes in amazement at what Jesus, what God was able to do. But as we think about that, we're also interested in a world that we can't see. We're interested in the invisible world that we can't perceive with our natural eyes. Now, people are interested today in the paranormal. There's this this huge industry of books and films that have to deal with this. And that's because people are captivated by the supernatural. And that's not always good. Rarely is it good. But at least it tells us that people are aware that there is a spirit world. There is something that lies beyond our natural perception. And because that world exists, it's important for us to know how that we are to relate to it. I want to give you a very quick, short answer to that. It comes to us in John chapter 4, when Jesus was speaking to the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And he said to her, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit. God exists in the spiritual world that's beyond our natural perception and there's no way that we could know God personally unless God should reveal us, reveal to himself or to us uh, himself in a way that we can relate to him. So what God has done, he's opened up the spiritual world that we could, can understand him by actually appearing to him, us in the flesh. And in John uh, chapter 1, the scripture says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in the 18th verse of that chapter, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And in those two statements, we find the mission of Jesus Christ. He is the manifestation of God who is spirit. And that's the way that we relate to the spiritual world, the one that we can't see with natural eyes. Now, the intent of all the gospel writers is to bring us to this understanding, to prove to us that Jesus truly is God in the flesh. And so we're looking at events in the 8th chapter of Matthew that occur right after the Sermon on the Mount. And there are miracles that Jesus did that prove his supernatural ability and tell us why that we should listen to what Jesus had to say in that sermon. He healed people of impossible diseases, and that showed that he had power over the creature. He stopped a violent storm that was on the sea, and that shows us that he has power over natural elements. And we come now to this 28th verse in Matthew 8. And here Jesus cast out demons. And that shows us that Jesus has power over the unseen spiritual world. And we're sure that no one but God could have power in that world, the world that we can't see. And so we know that Jesus must be God. God is in the spiritual world. But we also know that there are spirits that are against God. There is another part of that spiritual world that affects us. 
And whether we're interested in it or not, it is definitely interested in us. God created man to glorify him. And since that spirit world is against God, what the spirit world does is to continually try to prevent us from doing what God has created for us to do. Now, we clearly understand, or should understand, what this miracle teaches, that although Satan controls this evil spiritual world, Satan and God are not equal counterparts. Satan is a creature, and he has to submit to God. Satan cannot win against God. Satan is like a dog on a leash. It's like a man who takes a stake and drives it into the ground and then ties a dog to it. Satan is like that. He can only go so far And then God yanks that leash and draws him back in. Now, today's reading shows Jesus' power over this evil spiritual world of demons. In verse number 27, the disciples ask, What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? And now they will ask, What manner of man is this that even the demons of hell obey him? Stand, if you would, please, as we read God's Word. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse number 28. And when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, that's the other side of the Sea of Galilee, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And there was a good way off from them a herd of many swine feeding, So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. And they that kept them fled and went their ways into the city and told everything and what was befallen to the possessed of the devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coast. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of your word today. Help us, Lord, to look into this passage and understand clearly what you'd have us to know today. Bless your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you weren't here with us for last week's message and part number one of this, I apologize to you that... We can't spend a lot of time reviewing that information, but I am going to tell you just a little bit about it, and then we're going to deal with another part in just a few minutes. But we spent all of our time in that first message speaking about the possession of demons, and we discussed the origin of demons, their creatures, and by that I mean that God created them. Everything that was ever made, God created. Uh, Demons are not eternal beings as Jesus and God are eternal, Uh, They are evil, and they didn't start out that way because they were created by God. Originally, they were holy angels, and they were part of God's perfect creation. They didn't start out evil, but they became evil when the chief among them, an angel by the name of Lucifer, rebelled against God. And when Lucifer defied God, he was successful in inciting a further rebellion in which there was one third of all the other angels that joined in that rebellion, they sinned and they fell from their holiness and they are what we know today as demons. We don't know how many of them there are, but we know that there are enough of them. There are so many of them that they're able to tempt and to work in the hearts of every single person on the earth. 
And there are such large numbers of them that there were two to 6,000 demons that picked on these two men that were in Gadara, and they came into them and inhabited their bodies. Now, demons don't always possess people, but sometimes they do. They can take over a person's body, and they control that person for evil purposes, and that's what they did with these two men. The devils made lunatics. The demons made lunatics of these men. They tore off their clothes. They were raging maniacs. They lived among the tombs. And they were so frightening that people were afraid to get close to these two men. No one would even dare risk going uh, by this cemetery where they lived. Now, the Gospel of Mark tells us that uh, people had tried to chain these men. Uh, they bound them up with chains, and they attempted to control them. But the demons gave these men superhuman strength so that they were able to break the chains and to free themselves. And that tells us that demons are able to give people uh, superhuman abilities, something that they wouldn't normally be able to do. So those are a few things that we spoke of in the last message. We discussed the origin of demons and what they're able to do. Now today I want to take us into another part of the story, and we're going to draw this information together so we can see why that Matthew records this incident. Now he only chose a few representative miracles to get the point across that Jesus is God in the flesh. And so just like there were hundreds of healing miracles that Jesus did, and there may have been many times that Jesus commanded natural elements, uh, so we find here that Jesus healed many people, casting out demons from them. And Matthew just has chosen this one particular miracle and particular ones of those other cases to show us who Jesus really is. So we're going to go a little bit further today, and today we're going to spend our time talking about the power of deity, the power of Jesus Christ as deity. Now, the information that I gave you last week about the origin of demons and about their activity and about their strength was to show you that man is helpless against these spiritual beings. It's impossible for us to fight them. It's impossible for us to resist them in our natural abilities. Now, remember, what we're talking about here is angels. And whether they're good angels or whether they're evil angels, we can't control them. Demons possessed these men, and they were helpless to do anything about this. I don't think that they wanted to be naked, as we find in the other gospel accounts say that they were. I don't think that they wanted to live in a graveyard. I don't think that they wanted to cut themselves with stones and to act like madmen. But they were helpless to resist. And this is what happens when a demon takes over. You're helpless to do anything about it. So should you be afraid of demons? Well, if you're not a child of God, you should be. Do you want to meander over into their world and uh, to do business with the devil? Not on your life. You'd never want to do that because you cannot win with the devil. A curious infatuation with these things can only lead to disaster. Now, they are different, and they're powerful. And if you want to know the difference between you and Jeffrey Dahmer and you and John Wayne Gacy and you and Charles Manson, you can look right here to the unleashed power of demons. And so you need to understand this, that demons are everywhere. Every time that an evil thought comes into your mind, every time you commit something uh, against God somewhere, there's a demon attached to that. Every time you sin, there's a demon there. And don't get me wrong about this. It's not their fault that you sin. Sin is your act. Sin is an act of your will. And God holds you ultimately responsible for your sin. 
But this is what demons do. They're against God, and they try to make you against God. Now, these two men, they didn't start out with demons in them. At some point in their sinfulness and at some point of their own sinful nature in which they resisted God, the demons had an opening to come into these men. And every person here who is not a Christian, who doesn't know Christ as Savior, stands in that same danger. You have a sinful nature, and what uh, Satan does, he comes and he plies that nature, and he does it as often as he will. And, and if God doesn't see fit to stop a demon, you're not going to. Demons don't always possess people, but you can yield to them, and you will yield to them because you're powerless to resist them in your own strength. Well, let's notice some things here about these demons in relation to Jesus. First of all, they recognized his position. Now, I want you to get a picture of these two men that are high up on the bluffs overlooking the Sea of Galilee, They were wild men that were looking for victims. No one dared pass by them because they were lunatics. And they were watching for someone to come by, and when they did, they would attack them. You see, the demons were not content to torture these two men only. Demons are like Satan. They're prideful, and so they want to show their power, the control that they have over people. So these demons are up there in these men, and they're watching out over the Sea of Galilee, and they're just waiting for someone to come by, and the demons will incite them to charge those people and to attack them. And so they're watching over the sea, and they see a boat coming towards them. And this boat is about ready to cast anchor on the shore near them. Now, apparently, those that are in the boat don't know that they're not supposed to come this way. All the locals know this. They're not going to go anywhere near these two men. But these demons are in the men, and they're out there. They're looking out over the sea, looking for fresh meat, looking for fresh victims to terrorize. And so when this boat lands, they're suddenly aware that there's someone in that boat who's not normal. They recognized this person because they'd known him for a long, long time. See, demons were created near to the beginning of the world. And they had seen this person before. They recognized their creator. They didn't start out as evil, and they'd been there all this time. And there was a time when Jesus walked through heaven, and these angels had to bow before him. Now, there are gazillions, if that's a number, of these demons... And they're very much aware through all of their social networking that Jesus is upon the earth. Now, messages were all over Facebook about these demons, about Jesus, and he'd been casting out demons. Uh, The demons had been keeping up with Jesus' whereabouts because he'd been going everywhere casting out demons. And so when Jesus showed up on their turf, the demons were alarmed. And so these men come running towards him, and according to Mark, they went straight down to their knees. Those men didn't know who Jesus was. They had no way of knowing who Jesus was. He never told them that he was the Son of God. But in verse number 29, we see they respond and they say, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Jesus had never told them his name. They couldn't have looked out over the sea with a spyglass and said, Aha, there he is. And that boat is Jesus, and he's approaching us. He's going to come to the shore. That's Jesus, all right. No, it wasn't the men that recognized Jesus. It was the demons. And when they uh, saw Jesus, and when he got on the shore, it was the demons that spoke. And as soon as Jesus arrived, those men came running down the hill to meet him, and all that they can do is bow before him. The demons 
caused the men to bow because they recognized his position. Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. And though, although they were created as evil angels, they know that they cannot come into the presence of God without bowing before him. Now, they don't like being in the presence of the Son of God. They don't want to be there. But just as Paul says in Philippians that everything in the earth and everything in heaven, everything under the earth must bow to him. And so they recognized him. And the apostle James puts it this way. He says that demons tremble before him. Now Matthew tells us this so we understand what they understood. And that is that God commands evil spirits and they're powerless against him. So they recognized his position. He's God. And so they don't dare make any advances towards him. Now isn't that an interesting thing? Puny men will spit in the face of God. People curse his name. People use his name in vain. There are folks that will make fun of you because you're a Christian and you stand up for what you believe. A demon would never dare do that. He is not going to come into the presence of God and speak against God. He knows better than to challenge, men, uh, challenge God face to face. So demons are a lot smarter than men. They're not going to challenge God. A demon always does his work in the dark. And when he comes into the presence of God, he must bow before him. Now, we also notice here that these demons recognize Christ's authority. It's also Matthew's intent with his gospel to declare Christ's kingship. And I keep reminding of this. The purpose of the gospel account is to establish that Christ is the king. So we have that genealogy at the beginning that speaks of where he comes from, Brad's birth. And then we find the worship of the wise men in the first part of the book of Matthew. Then we find John the Baptist when Jesus comes on the scene declaring the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus preached that great manifesto of the kingdom when he gave the Sermon on the Mount. And we find this going all the way through the Gospel of Matthew until you get to the end and Jesus is crucified and there Pilate puts a sign on the cross that says, this is the king of the Jews. Now the sovereign king, Jesus Christ, is Lord over heaven and earth and Matthew puts that on display. The evil angels know this. They recognize this. And so when he comes, they bow before their sovereign king and they await their disposition. So now they're in his presence. They don't choose to be there. And I guess a question that I really don't know the full answer to is why that when they first saw him coming, that those demons didn't just fly out of there and take off somewhere else. And I guess the only answer that I can come up with is that God controls them for his sovereign purposes. He's about to give a demonstration of Jesus' authority over the supernatural world. When there was a time to show his power over the natural elements of the world, God sent a storm on the sea, and Jesus quieted that storm. And I think what we find here is that these demons must stay in their place because God controls them. He's about to give a demonstration of Jesus' supernatural authority over the demons of the supernatural world. And so when he's there, they do not dare make a move and tell until he tells them to move. They do not leave until he tells them to leave. They dare not act until Jesus speaks the command. They know his authority, and they don't make any move without it. Now, the next part is a part that's really fascinating to me, and that is that they recognize Christ's intentions. And what are his intentions? Well, the apostle John tells us why Jesus came to the earth, and it can 
be stated a lot of different ways, and the Bible does state it in different ways, but it all feeds into one purpose. And here's what the Apostle John says. He says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And so if you want to know why Christ came into the world, this is it. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And what is the work of the devil? Well, to give you that answer, we have to go all the way back to the very beginning. And there you find Adam and Eve in the garden, and Satan comes and he tempts them. And when Adam took of that forbidden fruit, when he ate of that, he fell from his innocence and sin entered into the world. And because of that, God cursed the earth. And since that time, Satan has been known as the god of this world. He usurps God's authority in the world. And he's done that since the creation and... For God's wise purposes, he has permitted Satan to do that. But God doesn't intend to let that go on forever. The Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. And when he does this, there's going to be a brilliant display of God's glory. And we've been talking about that for over two years in our Sunday evening services. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the King of glory, who comes to destroy the works of the devil. Now here, we see the demon's recognition of this. If you'll look at verse 29 again. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come to torment us before the time? And so here are 6,000 demons that all cry out with one fearful voice. Are you come to torment us before the time? I don't think that was a bold voice. I think that was probably a whimper. Did you come to torment us before the time? You know, I've been asked this many times. Does Satan know what's going to happen to him? You know, I find it hard to believe that he doesn't when there are 6,000 demons here that are very much aware of what's going to happen. Are you come to torment us before the time? What does that mean? It means they recognize his judgments. They recognize the plan and purpose of Jesus Christ. They recognize he has come to destroy the works of the devil. He's manifested for this purpose, and they know this means them. Satan enticed them to follow in his rebellion, and all through the centuries they've always known this, what God is finally going to do with them. This is not a secret. And I don't know if God told them right up front how it was all going to go down, that as soon as they rebelled against him and they sinned, they fell, that God may have told them then that here's what's going to happen to you because of this. I don't know if that's the case, but I do know this. There's enough written in the Old Testament that they would have known it. There are enough times when God stepped on the necks of demons when they interfered with his people that they must have known it. And by the time that we come to this story, they surely do know it because Jesus has come into the world and they know that he's going to cast them into a lake of fire. Now, if you'll turn over a few pages, if you would, to the first chapter of Mark, we have another demon here who who concurs with that analysis. He knows what Jesus is going to do. This is Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse number 21. Mark 1, verse 21. And when they went into Capernaum, that's Jesus and the disciples, and when they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for they, he taught them as one had, had authority and not as a scribe. Now that sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Same thing we heard in the end of the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus taught in the synagogues, the scribes sat by like kindergarten students. 
Jesus spoke with his authority, not the way that they did. And so they sat there dumbfounded at his teachings. Verse number 23. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. You know, that's interesting to me. You see the change in verse 23 to verse 24? There was an unclean spirit in the man. That's one spirit. And in verse number 24, the demon says, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee? Art thou come to destroy us? And then it switches back. I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And so that demon lumps himself together with all the other demons. And he says, Are you come to destroy me? Have you come to destroy us? And that was very upsetting to him. And back in our story in Matthew, they said, Did you come to torment us before the time? And so they know the time is coming, but they also know something else. This is not the time. Now that's simply amazing. The demons know enough to know that the first coming of Christ was not to do business with them. What have we to do with you? This is not the proper time. So when is the proper time for them to do business with Jesus? Well, it's not until the second coming of Christ. It's when he comes the second time, and that's when Jesus is going to do his business and get rid of sin and get rid of all these demons. Now, you fast forward to the end of the world, and after Christ comes to reign for a thousand years in a perfect kingdom, and by the way, Matthew's going to have plenty to say about that as we go through, and that's what this is all about. It's to get us ready for that coming kingdom of Christ upon the earth. And after that 1,000 years is over, then the devil and his demons are going to be tormented forever. I want you to go over to Revelation chapter 20, if you would, and I want you to see this because I'm going to have an important application for everybody here in just a moment. In Revelation chapter 20... And we'll look at verses 1 through 3 to begin with. Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3. Apostle John is writing, and he says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, And set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Now, we're going to come to those verses in our study of Revelation. And so if you're interested in more details about this, I encourage you to come on Sunday night. But there are a couple of very important issues that I want us to recognize here. And the first one is that Satan must surrender to God. Angels are very powerful beings. And here, we see an angel that is more powerful than Satan. Now, perhaps this is Michael the archangel. I believe that it probably is. But this angel grabs hold of Satan. He harnesses him. He puts a chain on him, and he binds him up with that chain, and he throws him into the bottomless pit. And so he shuts him in, and he seals him up so that he can't get out. Now, the bottomless pit is the abyss. If you read this same story that we're studying in Luke's gospel, and the reference is in Luke chapter 8, verse number 31, the demons did not want Jesus to cast them into the deep. And the word deep there in the book of Luke is the same word as abyss. And that's not the final destination for demons, but it is a place of torment, and that's where Satan's going to be put temporarily. 
During the thousand-year reign of Christ, Satan is going to be put into the abyss temporarily. Now, that is what the demons were referring to. When he says, if you come to torment us before the time, if you come to put us into the abyss, because that's where Satan's going to be for that 1,000 years. So this shows us that Satan is subject to the power of God. He can't do anything about it. And these demons in Matthew have the same power over them. They can't do anything about it. And so they know that this is what Jesus is going to do. This is his intention. Satan is not an equal to God. He is not an equal opposite force. He's a creature. And he exists only as long as God allows him to. Now, if you go down to verse number 7, it says, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Now, the thousand years, that's the time reference for the length of the kingdom until Jesus comes, uh, comes to renovate the earth by purging it with fire. One thousand years, that equals millennium, and so that's why we call this time period the millennial reign of Christ. So Satan has been bound for that thousand years, but God then, after that thousand years is over, is going to turn him loose for a short time. Verse number 8 says, And shall go out, that Satan shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, and the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now there is where you find the final disposition of Satan. And that's what the demons are referring to. They know that Jesus is going to torment them. And they know that this is not the time. And they know that they have to surrender to him just as Satan will. The time of their judgment will come. And they know that they have no hope of escape. Matthew wants us to get that picture. Jesus is the sovereign king who reigns over all. And so not only does he command the winds and the sea to obey him, not only does he command sickness to be gone, but he also commands this unseen spiritual world. Nobody has that power but God, and Jesus is God. Now, I want you to see one more very important factor concerning God's intentions. Now, we know this, that he does intend to destroy the demons of hell, and that's part of what the Apostle John said that he was manifested to do, to, to destroy the works of the devil. Now, if you'll look very closely, though, at verse number 9 in Revelation 20, it says, And they went up on the breadth of the earth, and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. It says they went up. Who are they? Well, those are people that Satan has deceived into following him. So they go up, and they surround the city of Jerusalem. Now, we're talking here about Jerusalem during the millennial reign of Christ. This is when God has established his kingdom there and his throne there, and Jesus is sitting there upon the throne of David, ruling in his kingdom. And all of these people that are following Satan surround the holy city of Jerusalem, and they're ready to do battle against him. And as soon as they're ready to do that... Fire comes down from heaven and devours these evil men. Now, here is the point that I want to make about God's intentions, and this is important for every person here. The fire will consume all of Satan's followers. That's what we very clearly need to understand from the day's message. 
Now, we've been talking about God's kingdom, and we talk about Satan's kingdom. There are two kingdoms that are in the world, and you are either in one or the other. And it so happens that when you were born, you were born into Satan's kingdom. He's the God of the world, and since you were born with a sinful nature, you are naturally born into Satan's kingdom. You're under his influence as your king. Now, he may not send a demon to possess you, or thousands of demons to possess you, as he did these men, but nevertheless, you're under his control. You are his follower. Now, most people will not admit that. If I go up to one of you today, then I know that you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, and I say, hello, shake your hand, and say, you know, you're one of Satan's followers. People don't like that. But do you know, if you met God face to face, that's exactly what he would say to you if you don't know Christ. You are one of Satan's followers. And he also said that he came to destroy the works of the devil. And so that means Satan and his followers will be destroyed. And if you are still in that kingdom, then you're going to suffer the same fire that Satan will suffer. You can't escape it. You can't escape it any more than Satan could escape it. Now, here's something that the demons know. They know about God, and they admit this. They ask Jesus, did you come to torment us before the time? Now, that's good for you to know. It's part of the story. But the most important part is, will you admit it? If you're not a Christian, will you admit it? Do you know as much as the demons know about Jesus? Well, you do now because I just told you. But I have some other news for you. And that is, you were born into the kingdom of Satan, but you can be born again into the kingdom of God. God doesn't have any natural-born citizens in his kingdom. The only way that you can ever get into the kingdom of God is that you must believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins And he died in order to bring you out of the kingdom of Satan and deliver you from that fire that will destroy both him and you. Jesus went to the cross of Calvary, and on that cross he suffered the fires of hell for you. He took the punishment that you deserve for your sins, and he did that for everybody who believes in him. Now I want to ask you the most important question that you'll ever hear in all of your life. If you don't know Jesus today, the simple question is, will you trust him? Do you believe that Jesus died to save you? And the scripture tells us that if you believe that, you can enter into God's kingdom today. You'll never have to ask the same question that the demons ask. Did you come to torment me? Because when Jesus comes, it won't be to torment you. It'll take, he'll be coming to take you to receive you unto himself, that where he is, there you may be also. Jesus died in order to take people into heaven with him. Now, here's a thing that, that's really interesting also, I think. God has provided no redemption for fallen angels. There's nothing in the Word of God that tells us that an, angel will ever be able, an evil angel will ever be able to change. They'll never repent of their sin. They'll never be able to come back to God because God has not provided redemption for them. But what God has done, he has provided redemption for us. God does not want you to suffer in the fires of hell. He provided redemption for you. Through the mercy, the love, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, he came into this world to suffer hell for you. And all that you have to do is believe in him, and you can be delivered from the fire that's surely to come. 
That's the greatest message, I think, that we can learn from this story of these men in Gadara. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, we thank you for Jesus Christ coming into the world to destroy the works of Satan. Lord, we know that that's a coming time, but in the heart of every person who's here today, you are able to destroy the works of Satan. Lord, I just ask you that you'd speak to some soul this morning, help them to understand that an eternity awaits us and that Jesus Christ came to deliver us from a hell that is certain to come. And Lord, I just pray that people will trust you today and understand that you came to deliver them from that awful place called hell. Lord, in your love and your mercy, you sent Jesus to die for us. You helped us to relate to you. The unseen spiritual world is now known to us, and we can know God through the person of Jesus Christ, because he is eternal God. Bless our people today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.